Happy Wednesday, friends. Today it is a jam-packed edition of NSN Daily. The silver trophy to the Golden Knights. Vegas is title town. Lord Stanley's Cup has a new home in Sin City. We break down a historic night on the Strip. And on the same week it wins the Cup, could Southern Nevada also land a Major League Baseball team? The latest from Carson City and Oakland as the A's move gains ground and the fans make their feelings known. And we're exploring our backyard with part two of our team's wild whitewater rafting excursion on the American River. All that and a whole lot more right now on NSN Day. You know what it is? Hey, y'all, from our champion Chevrolet studio, this is NSN Daily on a Wednesday alongside Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson. Chris, last day of school in Washoe County. I can imagine your kids are happy. Yeah, my son says he's going to miss his friends, so that was kind of touching. And uh, it's kind of weird nowadays. You actually get uh, the assignments of your kids and the test scores uh, as soon as they're put in Ooh. right on your phone. So I do know that my daughter has gotten straight A's for the second straight semester, first year of high school at the Monty Ranch High wow. School. So congratulations to her. But a very joyous time for kids around the <laughs> valley as they now get to head off to the summer. They get about eight weeks off. So uh, if you are one of those kids, have fun. There's nothing like uh, a summertime when you're a kid. Right, and the living's easy. I always <laughs> love signing yearbooks to have a great summer. You're a swell okay. kid. How much do you think a yearbook costs nowadays? Because we did get uh, yearbooks for both of the kids. Let's go with the high school one to start. I guess when I was in high school, it was probably like 60 bucks. Yeah, 90. Ooh, shout out inflation. Uh, no, but got it's, two it's, of a, them. it's a quality product. So the elementary school one, I think, was only like 25. Okay, not That's too bad. That's more just paperback. But the uh, hardcover. The high school one is you know, probably a good 150 pages. So yep. a lot of work put in there, but those are. <laughs> <laughs> memorable we have looked in the last couple of weeks back at our yearbooks mine and my wife yearbooks so that's one of the reasons my daughter wants one so she can look back 20 that's years that's the from thing now you still have them yeah. it's always fun looking at those old signatures and whatnot and the, <laughs> and the kid you used to be congrats to Lexi on straight A's by yes. the way hey you know they're celebrating today in Las Vegas although they probably haven't stopped from last night the Golden Knights in year six claiming Lord Stanley's Cup let's go to T-Mobile Arena game five VGK in Florida we saw Vegas take one of the two on the road, which set up a chance to win it all at home. And boy, there was little doubt that would happen. The home team starting five of its six original VGK members, call them the Misfits, and the Sellies coming quick with Mark Stone and Nicholas Haig scoring within two minutes of each other in the first period. VGK from that point on not looking back, adding four goals in the second including another from Stone. The captain would make it a hat trick with an empty netter in the third. Alec Martinez, Riley Smith, Michael Amadio, Ivan Barbashev, and Nicholas Roy also scoring. Yeah, the Golden Knights were in the net a lot. 9-3 the final score. Chris, what a dang showing to clinch the cup. I mean, it was an onslaught. When you put up nine <laughs> goals, this thing was over really after the first period, but certainly after the second period, um, you know, Vegas was a super deserving team. 
and they really ran through Florida in this one. Florida was really banged up toward the end of the year. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, the best player for the Panthers, had a broken sternum in game three, and he tried to play through that. Hockey players, super tough, but this just goes to show what great ownership does for a franchise. I mean, the Knights are a super, super young franchise, but when you're well run, when you have a great fan base, and when you have the right decision maker at that GM spot, you can do great things, and that's why Vegas is sitting there hoisting up the Stanley Cup trophy. And how about first-year coach Bruce Cassidy coming over from Boston and sending the Golden Knights to the promised land. Also a privately funded arena. We can talk about yeah, that later. Can, as well. It's a party in Sin City. Once again, in their sixth year of existence, the Vegas Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions. 19,000-plus going nuts last night and probably still right now there in Las Vegas. Uh, worth mentioning how Bill Foley, the owner of the team, said, I think, when they were established that within six years they would win the Cup, and sure enough, right on the dot, he got it. Dang. Yeah, <laughs> and they were obviously in the Stanley Cup uh, final their first year. They lost to Washington, but they've been among the cream of the crop in the NHL, so whatever they're doing from an organizational standpoint, um, it's been elite, not only in yep. terms of the players and who they've been able to pick up in the expansion draft and keep some of those guys and make some really good additions over the last couple of years, but just the enthusiasm with that fan base. Like, this team is really Vegas's team. I know the Raiders have moved in uh, to Las Vegas, but I think just in terms of local support, the Vegas Golden Knights get more of that than the Raiders in terms of yep. capacity being filled, in terms of just emotion into the team. And when you win right off the bat, you're going to engender that. But to be able to continue to do that and become the champions of your sport within six years, it was a prediction well made and, and well followed through. A Vegas-born squad, and you talk about championships, back-to-back -back years, they're celebrating in Las Vegas with the WNBA squad, the Las Vegas Aces, getting it done just last season. Jonathan Marshall-Salt, one of those original misfits, wins the Conn Smythe Trophy. First player to do so, I should say undrafted player, since Wayne Gretzky in the late 80s. The great one was in the house yesterday. As you see, it was a party inside and definitely outside of T-Mobile Arena. Uh, the celebration is sometimes the best part of this. It looks like everything was uh, went off without any uh, serious injuries or anything, so that's always encouraging. That's a plus, and it'll <laughs> be very cool to see the actual celebration with the parade down the Strip. Uh, the Strip's going to get well-worn this year. Obviously, they got the F1 race coming that's up right. as well. We'll see if there's a celebration if the A's potentially move there. But Marsha Salt in particular, that is a guy who was on the Florida Panthers roster. They picked him up in the expansion right. draft. So, again, you know, really smart looking forward, kind of getting, you know, these foundation players. And there aren't a ton from that first season. I think five or six still left on the roster, but they certainly um, did lay that foundation. And uh, this game in particular, Florida's defense was absolutely atrocious. You could see they were worn down. And I think the big thing for the Golden Knights is they had that depth that they could withstand a deep playoff run, that they could go to line three and line four and still get production out of that line. And they didn't have to extend their star players. So they were clearly the fresher team in game five. And it was basically a 60 minute celebration for those fans. That horn was going off. It seemed like the yeah, entire game. It was a party <laughs> in Las Vegas. Once again, Marshall Salt wins the Conn Smythe Trophy. And here are the victorious Golden Knights sounding off after bringing the cup to Las Vegas. Even the first year, we had so much fun with the fans and at T-Mobile, the energy. We we got ranked the best arena to play in for for a reason, right? So uh, it's been a great ride, and the fans, the community has been unbelievable since we came in. And uh, I remember game four, we wanted to bring it back home with a chance to win it all, and uh, and we did. And honestly, we our team delivered tonight. I mean, we we, we were dominating the whole game, and. I was just so proud to do it in front of our fans, and uh, that's a moment that I'll never forget. All of us, the Golden Knights right now, we're all winners, and uh, 
it's going to be the best feeling in the world and to be here with my kids and my wife there. And I mean, I could never do anything uh, without them. So they're my motivation every day and definitely the happy and enjoyed with them. It got me off surprise, to be honest. I didn't know we were going to start and uh, it was a great gesture. It was just well thought. I didn't even think about it. And uh, it was super nice on his part. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've been here for six years. We and will as well and you know what like we grinded like we grinded we wanted to get back at the feeling we had the first year and to get back to the dance and we know that this year going back at it things would be different i was walking my dog earlier today as we spoke about you know thinking of different things and and i thought you know i'd be i think a good way to get the guys attention and reward the guys that were the original you know laid the foundation for this hockey team I, I told I apologize to Will Carrier. Can only start one left winger, so uh, and I thought it'd be nice and see if it, you know, give us a little juice. And whether it did or not, I don't know, but they deserved it. And I think the guys respect that. They gave them the, the you know, they got past the cup first, um, and rightfully so. And I think they're going to enjoy it. We're all going to enjoy it, but for them, it means a little more. Could be the best thing that ever happened to me in my career. I mean, we win the Stanley Cup, right? Great group of guys, new, new challenges, come in fresh with players I didn't know at all. So it was a, you know, you have to start relationship building, and I think that's important in this job. So family gets settled in. They love it here. Nothing but great things to say about Summerlin uh, and then the hockey team. So um, nobody lasts in one spot forever. So like I said, once we got settled in, it's been terrific. Uh, it's been a hell of a year. Like I said, I think everyone plays the game to get their name in the cup, and we were able to do it, and I was able to do it my first year. And like I said, I'm very thankful and grateful that, you know, I ended up here and that, you know, Bill Foley uh, and George found it that, you know, I could be a guy to lead the team. Of course, Coach Cassidy came very close to leading the Bruins, in which uh, that was a 18, or it wouldn't have been the 18, I think 16 Stanley Cup final against St. Louis. One of those years, anyways. Cassidy gets it done in Las Vegas, and he talked about that gesture of starting five of the six misfits off the top of the game. I think that just got everybody revved up, including the crowd. Yeah, I mean, it's a great kind of show of you guys have built this thing. Now go out and bring it home and get us a championship. And this was probably one of their easier series, to be That's honest, true. if you look at it. Even the game they lost, they were up with two minutes to go, had to go into overtime because they conceded a late goal. Aiden Hill, the goalie, who was not one of those original guys, had a tremendous stand. Cup uh, playoffs. He wasn't even their starter entering the playoffs, so that shows you that things can change, and hot goaltending carries you a long way. They did drop a couple games to Edmonton. That's a very good offensive team. They did drop a couple games to the Stars after getting up 3-0, so it wasn't a completely smooth path. We usually see a lot of upsets in the NHL playoffs, and you saw that on the Eastern Conference side with the Panthers making it as an 8 seed by upset in the Bruins in the first round. Not so much on the Western Conference, so to be able to do it as a number one seed uh, just shows you how dominant and good this team was from the start of the regular season in. They really peaked with about 20 games to go uh, left in the season, and that peak just carried them on through the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, it is such a brutal sport. There are so many blood, sweat, and tears that go into potentially hoisting that cup. So for them to be able to do it uh, has to be very special. There's Alec Martinez. He won a championship, a couple of them with the Kings. Uh, he was a nice a veteran addition as well. So, um, yeah, just huge contributions up and down the lineup. And I think it was that depth that ultimately won Vegas this title. Yeah, this team was really dialed in and, as you said, really peaked at the right time toward the end of the regular season. And, of course, into the postseason is Vegas for the second straight year. Celebrating a title, the parade is coming mm -hmm. on Saturday.
That should be a lot of fun as we see the NBA season and the NHL season end on back-to-back -back nights with fans in Florida not so happy, <laughs> although they're eight-seeded teams. The Heat and the Panthers I mean, made it there, so you got to be happy about that. I think that. it's been a really good year for Miami-based teams. You had uh, University of Miami men's basketball team get to the Final good Four. Call. You had Florida Atlantic, which is up there in Boca, only 45 minutes away. They got to the Final Four. You had the women's basketball team at Miami get to the Elite Eight, knock off a number one seed on the way. You get to the NBA championship. You get to the NHL championship, and they just landed Lionel Messi from Argentina. Great call. He is signing with uh, their local inner uh, Miami team. So they, they don't have any rings to show for it, and ultimately that's what you want. But they've given their fans a lot of memorable moments over the last three or four months, and we'll see. Maybe Messi is the one to deliver them an MLS title. I know they're not in the playoffs right now, but it is fairly early in the season. That Messi factor is going to be <laughs> a big one. It definitely, uh, you see similar situations with gentlemen sweeps in the NBA and, uh, and the NHL with the one seed defeating the eight seed is Denver and Vegas are still celebrating titles. That could be a huge week in Las Vegas. You get the cup and the A's. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But first, coming up next on NSN Daily. A good victim. <laughs> good swimmer, good swimmer. All right. We're not done either. We are back to exploring our backyard with part two of our team's trip down the American River. We left you with some dramatics. How did things turn out? We're going to find out coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Mike and Chris with you on a Wednesday, and that means it's time for another installment of Exploring Our Backyard. Chris, last week we left the people hanging with Nevada Sportsnet's Chris Eisen, quite literally hanging off of a raft and submerged in the American River. Uh, yeah, that's not the exact position you want to be in when you go <laughs> whitewater rafting, but you know that's a possibility. So, um, yeah, the funny thing is, is Ice, he's about six foot six. He Big played a uh, very uh, high level college. Uh, volleyball even a little bit overseas um, and the day before he was going I was like you really ready for this because yeah, I know he's got a little bit of, of back stuff um, and he's like oh it's not gonna be a big deal like they let eight-year-olds on it and uh, it was a big deal it was a little <laughs> bit more rapids than he had expected I know he had a ton of fun but uh, I don't think he was expecting to get that dip into the American and the last time we saw him he was dipped into the American with a GoPro on and everything so is ice and everyone else okay here's part two of their white water rafting trip this segment is sponsored by LT Automotive. Before you hit the road to the outdoors this summer with your family, you can get all of your RV and car needs taken care of at LT Automotive. Come on in and see us. We'll take pride in your ride. Last time on Exploring Our Backyard. It's nonstop big waves, big holes. I mean, it's pretty much like getting struck by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> Paddle ahead. Uh, we all remember how Satan's cesspool rapid went down. Lean it, lean it, lean it. Yeah. Left side ahead, left side ahead. Left side ahead, left side ahead. Left side ahead, left side ahead. Paddle ahead, paddle ahead. Go get him, go get him. Paddle ahead, go get him. We can get him. We can get him. We can get him. Grab him, grab him. Grab him, grab him. More. By the shoulder. Great job, team, bringing me back into the water. Way to go. Ice, nice job. Well done, thank you, brother. Way to, way to be a good, a good um, victim. 
<laughs> a good victim. Woo! Good swimmer, good swimmer. All right, we're not done either. Huh? Rivers have um, some new dangers when they're high that, that maybe people aren't used to or expect um, that aren't normally there. The fast moving water exceeds people's ability to, to swim, not expecting the cold. Um, so having the right gear, wetsuits, and the right equipment, and, and again, an outfitter or guide service is critical to that. One, two, three, break. Nothing like the sounds of the river to lull you to sleep. What a crazy first day here on the river. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs> Next time on Exploring Our Backyard. The rapids at, these, at this level, it's one rapid. Very little break in between the rapids. Not a lot of time to breathe. Okay, let's go, round two. Like, um, and it's like that for miles. This segment sponsored by Michael Hole RV Center. Whew, okay, my heart's racing a little bit. Yes, there is a third and final piece to their trip. You will see that next Wednesday on Exploring Our Backyard. I think I said it last week, though. Glad I stayed uh, back here and uh, safe and dry, although it looked like some fun. Oh, it looked like a ton of fun. This <laughs> is, I think, uh, more than a decade of doing EOBs. I think this is the first trilogy. I think this is the best trilogy since Godfather. So we will see how part three plays <laughs> out. But uh, it was fun to see some of the stuff off the water. There was that ping pong, that big Jenga. I know the tents were super nice. They called it more glamping, glamping. than camping. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the waters, if you like it, you know, typically you got to go kind of far away to get those like yeah. class fours, class fives. But uh, given how the winter was, you can get those only about two hours away. That's where they're based. You basically head out toward Auburn, and then you're going to take a quick uh, sharp turn a little bit south, and it's about mm -hmm. 10 minutes off the uh, uh, I-80. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I would have loved to have been able to go out there. Certainly, I think, uh, you know, a lot of our people got a little wetter than they thought they were going yeah. to get, but that's the fun of it. If it's just kind of a lazy river, um, you're not going to have the adrenaline pumping like they certainly were able to do during that show. And we need dramatics for yes. the segment, okay? Oh, for sure. Um, it wouldn't have also, been three parts if everybody stayed in the exactly. boat. Exactly. <laughs> and we saw uh, Mr. Eisen able to hold on as his legs stayed in the boat, but then that same bump, turns out we lost Alex Margulies for a little bit there, and they were able to drag him back in teamwork style. So we are happy to report everyone is okay as we get ready for that third and final part next week on EOB Exploring Our Backyard. Next on Daily, back to the hard news. The A's to Vegas saga continues. The latest on the battle for a ballpark with movement in the legislature while fans in Oakland rally for their team. That's coming up on NSN Daily. We're back on NSN Daily. Chris Murray and myself have migrated to the Legends Bay Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. Good reminder to download the Circus Sports app, and you can place bets anywhere in our great state of Nevada. Maybe in the future you'll be betting on the Las Vegas A's. It has been a roller coaster season for fans of the Oakland A's as the team's front office tries to monorail their squad to Southern Nevada, if you will, and leave the town without a major sports team. After a special session was called in Carson City, there was something done Wednesday with the 21-person Senate voting to pass the amended version 
of the stadium bill, which will provide $380 million in state funding for the bill. 13 to 8 was that vote, Chris, a big step, but not the final one. Yeah, they still got to get through one more chamber, and then it has to be approved by Joe Lombardo, the governor. And Joe Lombardo would approve it. I mean, he's somebody who's been a big proponent. So it's basically two-thirds of the way done, but that state assembly will have a lot to say about this, and they have not taken the vote as we tape this Wednesday. Mm -hmm. The MLB owners are also meeting right now in New York, so I think the hope was from the A's that this would be all wrapped up by the end of those MLB owners meetings on Thursday, so then they could vote for a relocation. So it seems like it's moving in the right direction if you are a fan of the A's going to Las Vegas, but certainly one big hurdle left, and that is passing the assembly, and if that does happen today, um, potentially you could have the A's not officially moving to Las right. Vegas because it does have to be approved by the MLB owners, but more or less all but done because I think if this funding is approved, there's nothing that's going to stop the move from happening. Yeah, the latest reporting actually has the Assembly talking out some potential amendments, at which point if they approve an amended version, it would technically have to go back to the Senate. They would have to concur with those amendments, and at which point then it could end up on Governor Lombardo's desk. And something dangled in front of Northern Nevada fans the chance of the A's having to play here in Reno? Uh, there would be a gap between their time in Oakland and when a stadium could be built. So how realistic are the A's maybe taking a lease at Greater Nevada Field? Uh, it's a good question. This comes up because the Las Vegas Convention and uh, Visitors Authority Chief Executive Officer slash President Steve Hill did say during some of the testimonials yesterday that there's the possibility that the A's could play games in Reno. So now why? Because the Oakland lease is up with the A's in 2024. Stadium wouldn't be built until 2027. So where are they going to play in 2025 and 26? The prevailing thought has been that they would play in Los Vegas ballpark, home of the AAA Las Vegas Aviators, which play out there in Summerlin, built in 2019. But could there be some scheduling conflicts between scheduling a full AAA season and a full MLB season in the same stadium? And could some of those games be played down here at Greater Nevada Field? There are some other options. Maybe they play some of them in Phoenix where the Diamondbacks play. Okay. I think more than anything, this is probably some bait to try and get Northern Nevada representatives to potentially vote this yeah. through. We did see this with the Raiders in 2016. There was a lot of talk that if this team does come and get the $750 million that they eventually got to build the Legion Stadium, that the Raiders training camp facility could potentially be built in Northern Nevada. They did some tours. They went over to Wooster High School, a couple of other sites. Obviously, that never happened. I think it was kind of just an enticement to get the voting package passed. Mm -hmm. I think this is probably the same situation, but I would say, given how difficult it might be to schedule two full seasons in one stadium, maybe it happens. I would guess not, but that was an interesting nugget that did come out of yesterday's meeting. I remember covering that story when the Raiders were in town touring sites and uh, former Governor Steve Sisolak was there, Mayor Hillary Sheevy was there, and I do remember, no disrespect to the Colts, but I remember going to Wooster and thinking, the Raiders are going to hold training camp here? Or even, <laughs> frankly, even at the University of Nevada, like they like grass fields, which Nevada does not have. And so I remember thinking, like, what are we all doing here? Like, is this really going to happen? And sure enough, it of course did not, except that money did come through for Allegiant Stadium. So once again, the work continues in Carson City, but it would appear those in favor, including Governor Joe Lombardo, are doing everything to get this deal across home plate, if you will. Well, soon after the Senate passed it onto the Assembly, A's fans packed the Coliseum for a reverse boycott, around 27,000 in the House, over three times as much as their average has been this year. And they were there to cheer on their beloved team, but more so plead for John Fisher to S-E-L-L-Sell. -L -L Quite a scene there, Chris, as a Oakland, we know, 
has some seriously passionate fans, and it is kind of hard not to feel for them. And they won their seventh straight game. Seven in a row. Sitting there at 19-50, and 50, so not the worst record in MLB anymore. That goes to the Kansas City Royals, 18-50. and 50. So there are great fans in Oakland. They have not been able to really cheer for a lot with the A's. So nice to see them get out there. I'll be curious to see if they continue to come out to the ballpark or if this was a one-time thing. I know the mayor of Oakland was out there, and she has argued that John Fisher and his uh, ownership group has not negotiated in good faith. So at least one good day at the Coliseum this year in terms of the attendance and also the victory. Between the Warriors, the Raiders, and now potentially the A's leaving, uh, yeah, it's again hard not to feel for them, although winners of seven in a row <laughs> are the Oakland A's, peaking at a, a dramatic time <laughs> after the win. Here is the team's first-year skipper, Mark Kotze, talking about the vibes last night inside the Coliseum. You know, I, I thought these guys kept their, their poise. Um, they, they used the energy, um, you know, and uh, I think, you know, I made the comment like this, tonight was was as close to a playoff crowd as, as I think I've experienced uh, managing a game. And uh, the energy, the, the, the atmosphere was, was uh, you know, everything that the stadium can be. And, uh, you know, for that to happen tonight, uh, for us to go out and play a good game, um, all around to execute, to pitch, to play defense, and and do the fundamentals of the game that we talk about, and take care of the details uh, in front of that crowd. Um, you know, I couldn't be happier. Well, I, I've experienced anger in a crowd, definitely, um, <laughs> mostly at me when I was playing. Um, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it was a unique night. Um, you know, but again, we talked a lot about it, and and it, the. Uh, you know, if you want to use the word anger, it wasn't directed at the players, and, and we felt the energy on, on their uh, fan side supporting us, you know, uh, passionately with, uh, with the, you know, you could feel um, them just wanting us to win that game. And, uh, and their will, I think, uh, came across uh, with our guys and just the, the electricity you felt when we scored that run in the eighth and went back out to take the field in the ninth. Got to be kind of exhausting being a part of that franchise right now. All right, coming up next on Daily, they are a day away from teeing off at the U.S. Open from the Los Angeles Country Club. We're going to set the table for golf's third major of the year next on NSN Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily. He's Chris. I'm Mike. It is Wednesday in our Champion Chevrolet studio. Golf's next major championship teeing off Thursday as the U.S. Open takes on Los Angeles. Boy, the storylines are endless both on and off of the course. Of course, we're still talking about the pending merger between the PGA and the Live Tour. Those players will be getting together in this field. And we recently learned the United States Senate is looking into this partnership and how it arose once again, needless to say, Chris, lots to talk about around the game. Yeah, and the commissioner uh, who kind of formed this merger is taking a leave of absence for health issues. So hopefully he's okay. I know he's taken a lot of criticism, not only from the public, from also from the players that mm -hmm. he supposedly represents. So uh, definitely a lot of drama coming into this. I think once they hit the course, it'll be about what they're doing on the course. I don't think the government's going to do anything to break up this merger, but it will be interesting to see if they do have any uh, interactions that uh, change the future of the PGA Tour and this live merger. But uh, ultimately, it's going to be about who plays the best golf and whether Brooks Kepka can repeat after winning the PGA Championship, which felt like it was just last week, a couple of really quick back-to-back yeah. -back majors here. Wasn't long ago as Kepka will be in the field. The defending champion is Matt Fitzpatrick. 
although he is not one of the favorites. Back to the merger, here are some of the sport's most prominent players talking about the future landscape of professional golf. For a lot of different parties, there's a lot of different reasons of why it's happening, right? So we all want to know the why, and that's, I think, we, we we're so interested in the why, right? For us, like for me right now, it's just like what's going to happen. I, I don't know, but like we always want to know that why answer. Like wh what's the purpose behind it? It gets to a point where you want to have faith in management, and I want to have faith that this is the best thing for all of us. But uh, it's clear that that's not the, the consensus, right? I think the the general feeling is that. A lot of people feel a bit of betrayal from, from management. Uh, I understand why they had to keep it so secret. It's not easy as a player that's been involved, like many others, to wake up one day and see this bombshell, right? So that's where we're all in a bit of a state of limbo because we don't know what's going on, and I don't think how much is finalized and how much they can talk about either, right? So it's, uh, it's a state of uncertainty that we don't love, but at the end of the day, I'm not a business expert. Uh, some of those guys on the board and involved in this are. So I like to think they're going to make a better decision than I would, but I don't know. We don't, we'll see. Uh, there's still too many questions to be, to be answered. I haven't paid too much attention to it, honestly. I've been trying to prep for this week. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I come into a major championship. There's four weeks a year that I really, really care about, and this is one of them, and um, you know, I want to play well. So I wasn't going to waste any time on, on any news that happened last week. I saw it. I was at, sitting at Grove. Um, at the bar there, uh, having breakfast, and I uh, saw it on TV, watched uh, a little bit of the interview, and then that was it, just went out and practiced. We know one thing is there will be some kind of penalties or conditions or whatever. Live golfers coming back, being reintroduced to the PGA Tour. Are, are, are you okay with that? You think you think that will be okay? Like I said, I'm not, it's, it's a lot of what-if games, so I'm not really worried about it. Like, I'm not going to play the what-if game. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I feel like not feel like not much rattles Brooks Kepka. Of course, it was reported earlier this week, though, that basically the PGA's litigation battles with Liv were just becoming too pricey, and I think that's why they eventually decided to uh, take yeah. the if you can't beat them, join them route. Uh, when you're battling someone who has endless cash and endless lawsuits, it can make it very difficult to be able to stand up for what you think is right. I mean, certainly these are first world problems. The PGA Tour right. golfers are going to make even more money than they were previously making, so while they don't maybe like the merger and weren't in favor of it. It is going to enrich them long term. Uh, you know, these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to go play golf. So I think there are a lot bigger issues out there for the government to be looking into, but we'll see what their scope of this uh, investigation ends up bringing. And, uh, you know, I think, like I said, uh, you know, last week for the average golf fan, they just want to see the best players in the world playing in the biggest tournaments. And that's what this merger will bring. There are certainly a lot of downsides of taking that Saudi uh, Arabia money. Um, and some of the players are not happy about it, and it's good for them to voice it. But yeah, Brooks is not the guy who's really going to give you something super insightful. That's not, that's not really his game. He's like, let me just go out there and try to win this tournament. As for the golf, I'm seeing Scotty Scheffler as the favorite, uh, six to one odds. And then you heard from John Rahman, Brooks Kepler, they're each at nine to one. Saw Victor Hovland win at the Memorial. He and Roy McElroy, 12 to one. And then I mentioned that defending champion, Matt Fitzpatrick, 30. Five to one. You like any of those names? Uh, I always root for Rory. I mean, it's been a long time since he's won a major. I mean, he was really the face of the PJ Tour and pushing back against Liv. I think that took a lot out of him emotionally and yeah. physically. 
And uh, I think that's why he felt so betrayed. Maybe with this kind of in the rearview mirror and him not uh, being the only one having to answer all these questions, he can play a little bit freer. Uh, he certainly has played some good golf over the last couple of years. He's won a FedEx uh, championship as well. But just in the majors, it seems like he can't lock it in for all four rounds. Specifically, the first couple of rounds uh, tend to get him a little yeah. bit in a hole. So that will be where my fandom roots. I'm not sure if that's where I'm going to put my money, though. Yeah, or maybe you could just watch it and enjoy it like <laughs> I plan to do. And yeah, Rory, he said, you know, I kind of felt like the sacrificial lamb out here. And that that guy had to grow up fast. I mean, I remember him being on David Letterman when he was like a teenager, yeah. maybe even be before he was a teenager. Um, and so, anyways, Rory would love to see him win, a, uh, win a, another major championship at 12-1. to 1. I'll go with Victor Hovland because he is really playing some great golf at 9-1. to 1. We'll see if he can get it done, too. Coming up next, Chris has a wish list of teams he would love to see Nevada football play in future non-conference schedules. There's already some big games on the schedule. What else would we like to see? We'll talk about that and a reportedly actual scheduled game for Nevada men's basketball. That's all coming up next on NSA. Back here on Daily, Mike and Chris kicking it inside our champion Chevrolet studio. We have talked a lot of uh, about incoming transfers to the Nevada football team, but there are now a pair of now, former PAC players who have found new homes. Chris, first on the defensive side, Maurice Wilmer. He's going to head across the country. Yeah, he's going to UConn. He spent four years at Nevada, a linebacker, middle linebacker. His cousin actually is James Michael Johnson, who was on some of those great teams with Colin Kaepernick. He played in the NFL for four years, so kind of followed in his footsteps to Nevada. Was not able to consistently get on the field his first couple years, but the last two years he's played in 21 to 25 games, started three games last year, had a career-high 25 tackles last season. Does play middle linebacker, like I mentioned, which is pretty deep for Nevada. You got Drew Watts, you got Naki Matalona, you got Jackson Leduke, and they only play two middle linebackers at a time. So there probably wasn't going to be a lot of playing time, but he does land at a pretty solid FBS program. UConn went six and seven last year under coach Jim Mora, a former uh, NFL head coach yeah. and college head coach. And uh, that was their first bowl appearance since 2015. So Maurice did just get his uh, graduation degree. So he is leaving uh, the University of Nevada as a graduate and will have two years to play at UConn, probably get a little bit more playing time there than he would have got with the Wolfpack. From a wolf to a husky, Maurice Wilmer heading to UConn to play linebacker. And then in the quarterback room, we learned some months ago that Jake Barlidge was going to take his talents elsewhere. He's uh, heading to the Division II ranks. Yeah, going to Northwood. So he began his career in junior college, three years at Nevada, never got higher than third on the depth chart. He did play in that game against Texas State. I think he had like a 37-yard run, never uh, had a pass appearance for the Wolfpack during his three years here. But uh, that school, Northwood, is a Division II. They just recently joined a new conference prior to last Last year uh, located in Michigan so best right. of luck for him probably wasn't going to get any playing time yeah. here so uh, he also heads out with two years of eligibility at his new school all right and in case you missed it last week we did have the head man coach Ken Wilson in the house his full two-part chat with Chris can be seen at NevadaSportsNet.com I remember one of those talking points was how there were few players that looked elsewhere after last season which is an encouraging sign I think yeah I mean there weren't a lot of guys on the team that were returning that had a lot of playing time that I think they would have got a ton of interest out of the yeah. transfer portal so maybe that was part of it but he was referring more to we feel like the culture is good because we're not having a lot of people defecting and trying to go to other schools certainly they've brought in a lot of Pac-12 transfers to kind of deepen the roster but yeah only a couple of notable players I would say Aaron Frost who missed all of last year with the knee injury went to Arizona State and then Grant Stark who started at left tackle all 12 games he went to Oregon State so those are by far the two biggest losses really the only ones who are starting caliber players so I think in the whole it's been very positive in terms of transfer portal comings and goings. 
Yeah, and you look at the Pac-12 plus minus, it's been a lot of plus <laughs> on Nevada's side. All right, if you head to NevadaSportsNet.com, you'll also see a recent column from Chris on the nine non-conference teams he wants to see Nevada football play in the future. Of course, we already have plenty of big-time additions of late with some big trips planned this year and beyond. Yeah, I mean, USC and Ohio State have both been announced in the last couple of weeks, so that was kind of the genesis for the story. Nevada does have one of those games every year through 2029, except for 2028, so they're probably not looking to schedule too many of these games because they have scheduled them out. But basically, I picked my nine programs I'd like Nevada to play against who they have not scheduled for a regular season game since 2000. So okay. not someone like a Notre Dame who we've seen recently or a Nebraska. It has to be someone they have not put on the schedule in the last 25 plus years. Okay, let's look at, uh, not to be confused with Murray's mailbag, Murray's wish list <laughs> starting with number nine, and the North Carolina State. I mean, I just want the Battle of the Wolfpack on that one. Yeah. Uh, they're the NC State Wolfpack, one word. Uh, Nevada is the Nevada Wolfpack, two words. And I kind of did joke, whoever wins that game gets uh, rights to the old school Wolf logo. That's a great point. Which North Carolina State actually has the rights to, but maybe the Wolfpack can go and win it. So I don't think that matchup is going to happen, but I would like to see the Wolves. Take. I didn't realize they had those rights because yes, that old school Wolf is great. And number eight, Utah, which uh, the Utes just uh, had a player go this way in Kane Savage. Yeah, 1945, the last two times the teams played each other. Wow. So they are regionally close. It'd be a cool drive over there to Salt Lake City. So thought that one might be one that would interest some Wolfpack fans. Number seven, Texas. That'd be fun. Yeah, they've never played each other. Uh, and then number six, Oklahoma, never played each other again. Both of these are very big brand names headed to the SEC soon. So Nevada has scheduled some really big names in recent years, but neither of those two in the Midwest. So that would be curious. There is some history between the Wolfpack and the Stanford Cardinals. Yeah, Stanford has beaten Nevada 10 out of 13 games that they've played all time, but the last time they played 1931, so it's been Whoa. a long, long time, and Nevada has played nine of the 12 teams in the Pac-12 since 2000. The only ones they haven't, Utah, which we mentioned earlier, Colorado, and then Stanford. So a little bit odd that they have played Cal a lot, but they haven't played Stanford uh, really, you know, almost uh, an entire century, 1931. Yeah, that's so crazy. That would be a fun matchup. Yeah, make that like. happen. This would also be fun. The team from Baton Rouge, LSU. I mean, Death Valley, probably the best game day experience in all of college football. And Stephanie Remp, Nevada's athletic director, was previously at LSU as their deputy AD. So I think that one makes some sense. Miami at number three. They uh, played in the last 20 years. They did. 2006 MPC Computer Bowl. So it wasn't a scheduled game. So that's how I got around that one. But Ken Wilson was on Mario Cristobal's mm -hmm. staff for two years at Oregon. Mario Cristobal now at Miami. So I think that would be a fun matchup. And Miami does have a history of losing two group of five schools. So maybe that's a more winnable game than some on this schedule. We'll lump the last two together. Never played against Michigan or Alabama. That'd be pretty crazy. Either of those. Yeah, I mean, Michigan, obviously the big house, the biggest stadium in college football. Caden McNamara no longer there. That would have been kind of a fun storyline. But these games are scheduled so far in advance you can't really set right, that up right. and then Bama's been the standard of college football really the last 15 years now Georgia has won back-to-back -back titles but to be able to go down to Alabama would be cool and I think both of them are somewhat reasonable I mean you look at the history of Michigan they've played six Mountain West schools since 2015 so they usually have at least one Mountain West school mm -hmm. on the schedule and then Alabama's played some Mountain West schools most recently Utah State went down to Alabama, that's played right. in Tuscaloosa. So that's my wish list of nine. I don't think many of those games would be close, but it doesn't look like Nevada's trying to schedule close games. They're trying to get the biggest paychecks, mm -hmm. at least with one of those slots, with um, you know those kind of marquee games. They've got Penn State coming up, UCLA, USC, Ohio State, Kansas, Minnesota. So some really bigger names on the schedule moving Yeah, forward. I don't think any of those are far-fetched as potential options in the future. And another one you mentioned that I would love to see would be Colorado and going to play Dion squad. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's transition now from football to basketball. Again, you can see Chris's full column 
on that wish list at NevadaSportsNet.com. But how about Rocco Miller providing some <laughs> news for us this week? First uh, reporting Nevada basketball's season opener will be at home November 7th against Sacramento State. First meeting in over almost 20 years between those two teams. Today, Miller's got more for us reporting the Wolfpack has agreed to play a couple games with a Pac-12 focus. Yeah, Washington, which they've actually played pretty often. Right. So it would be a two-game series, which is super nice. Nevada would start at Seattle in a game this upcoming year, and then Washington would come to Reno two years from now. A lot of these games, it's a one-off. Like last year when they went and played at Oregon, that was the only game. So to be able to get a home-and-home home rather than two road games versus one home game would be super big for Nevada. Unfortunately, that home game does not come this year, but when you can get a one-on-one -on -one with a Pac-12, you kind of have to take it. So that would be uh, you know, a big game for Nevada in terms of their scheduling. Uh, they were right around 100 in Ken Palm last year. Washington was kind of a mid-tier Pac-12 school, and they will have a local on the team. Moses Wood from Galena High School right. uh, recently committed to Washington. And Nevada's had success against the Huskies. They've won the last three games against Washington all since 2010, all three of those games by three points or less. So we've seen some thrilling games. We saw uh, Deontay Burton's team beat Washington at home the year the Huskies won the Pac-12 championship. And then Marcus Marshall hit a uh, running uh, kind of wild shot with about two seconds left to go to beat Washington at Washington a couple of years after that. So they've played some classic games. That Deontay Burton game, was that at the end of 2011 or early 12? Uh, it was non-conference. I think it was 10-11. And it went to overtime. Nevada yep. rallied from a deep hole. And Washington, like I said, they won the Pac-12 that year, but they didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. But it was that year Nevada won 28 games, uh, the 10-11 year. And that was kind of their biggest resume piece. And unfortunately, they were one of the first four yeah. out of the field, in large part because Washington's overall metrics weren't great, and that was uh, their best non-conference win. I was going to say that is the first game I ever covered on my own for a local media outlet in nice. Reno. I had graduated from intern status to send him out to the game by himself status, a Nevada game nonetheless, and it was that epic Nevada-Washington game. I remember just being so worried that I was not going to get everything and like, just <laughs> keep recording and talk and to the overtime, coach. And overtime, so I'm probably pushed you into your deadline. Too. Oh, it did. I was rushing back in my Honda Civic because <laughs> I couldn't drive the station car as of yet. So that's a good memory for me because that was a heck of a win for the Wolfpack. I will note, though, 2018, there was an exhibition game oh, against brutal. the Huskies that did not go so well for Eric Musselman's team. Yeah, we don't talk about that one. Exactly. Uh, a loss, but did not count <laughs> on the, the schedule. They had some pretty good players on that Husky team as well, but again, it was technically an exhibition. <laughs> All right, Chris has more details on this pending matchup with the Huskies and what Nevada's schedule looks like as of now. You can see that at NevadaSportsNet.com. Next on Daily, round one at the American Century Championship. Teeing off exactly a month from today, We'll look at who's going to be here and who won't be making the trip this year next. Well, the celebrities are invading the South Lake Tahoe in less than a month. It is, of course, our staple event on the summer schedule. The American Century Championship. Chris, we have a list of accepted invitees, over 80 players once again this year. A lot of notable returners, a couple notable omissions. We are going to miss Justin Timberlake and Nick Jonas out there, but nonetheless, plenty of excitement. Obviously, Timberlake is the biggest name in this field. He gets the biggest crowds. He has the biggest entourage in terms of Washoe County Sheriff's officers <laughs> right. being around him. Um, you never know. He's not currently on the invitation list. He does have apparently a scheduling conflict, but I'm sure if he wants to come out for three days and he can make it happen, they will let him come out there. John Elway coming back. I think that's, that's super right. cool. Um, he had not played in this tournament since 2017. And and then you have Jim McMahon and then also Jack Wagner. They will be making their uh, 34th appearance at this tournament. The only two to play in every single tournament in this event's history. So great to see them coming Incredible. back. Incredible. I actually had a 
the honor of interviewing Jim McMahon last year and bless the guy, he would come over, he had been coming off of a serious foot ailment that required surgery and there was complications, but he basically said how important it was for him to continue that streak. And so he had kind of a little cart he was riding on, but he was still playing. So shout out to McMahon and Wagner making it back. I'm excited to see some of the new names. Nate Bargatze, Mike Golick, Alex uh, Killorn, Robert Sala. How J.J. About Watt. J.J. Watt Devontae will be a Adams. big one. He'll have a nice crowd. Devontae Adams, of course, with the Raiders. Zach Levine cannot wait for the ACC. He's Chris. I'm Mike. This is NSN Daily. We'll see you again tomorrow, friends.